All right. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I have like three messages today that I want to preach. You ever had those kind of moments where you just say, I just got, I got some extra stuff for you today. Are you okay with that? Anybody got anywhere to go before one? You're okay? All right. You know, um, I love stories that tie God's favor into our life. I was telling some stories about what God had done, and someone said to me, you know, well, you just want God to bless you. And I said, yeah. I mean, what's the opposite of that? I want God not to bless me? Well, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about this. You are the focus of Jesus' ministry. The most important real estate on planet Earth is you. Think about that for a moment. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for you. You're the most valuable real estate on planet Earth. Now, some of you inside are saying, I'm not sure about that. On the outside, you want to act like that's true, but on the inside, you're going, am I really that important to God? You know, sometimes we have to confess with our mouth the things that we want to see God do. Amen? So here's what I want you to say with me. I am the focus of Jesus' ministry. Now, all through life, what you're going to find is there are going to be things that are going to come into your life. There are going to be people that are going to come into your life, and they're going to try to, to distract you from the destiny God has for you. They're going to try to rip away the purpose that God has for you, but you have to be strong in the Lord and the things of the Lord. Now, getting this building was a miracle, and you've heard about it. I mean, we're 24 months uh, plus into this building, about 27 now, I think, in, in this month coming. And God has done some pretty cool things, but it hasn't been without opposition. I want to talk to you a little bit about the favor of God. Now, take your Bibles. This is the sermon that precedes the sermon. Okay? And go to Psalm 67, and I want to just uh, mark this in your Bible because it's significant and it's powerful. And you're going to see how all this plays together in this message. One of three of the messages, at least, right? All right, listen to what it says in verse 1. God, be merciful to us and bless us. There's a prayer. God, would you be merciful to me? Would you bless me? And cause his face to shine upon us. And then it has that little Hebrew word, selah. It means to pause and meditate on what God just said. God, bless us and be merciful to us. And then verse 2 tells you why. Here's the purpose of that blessing and that mercy. That your way may be made known on the earth. See, God's mercy, God's blessing to me is so that God will be lifted up on the earth. When people see God working in my life, in your life, God is lifted up. Your salvation among all nations, the blessing God brings to you, the mercy God brings to you results in his name lifted up and the salvation among the nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. 
For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Selah. Pause. Think about that for a moment. Meditate on the word of God. Let it sink into you. Then he says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then why? Notice what happens in verse 6. Then, when we start praising God, I mean really praising God, when we start seeing God's mercy, when we start seeing God's blessing in our life, notice what it says. Then, verse 6, the earth shall yield her increase. In other words, we're going to see God's hand in the earth bringing an increase to our land. We've been living in a drought as a nation. We've been, dry, we've been dried out by the sin and the unrighteousness in our land. But God says, I, you can bring it back, church. My people can bring it back. Then the earth shall yield an increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Now, I began this scripture by saying it hasn't been without opposition. I want to give you a little testimony you haven't heard yet about the opposition to get into this building. When we put a bid on this building and it was accepted, the next thing that happened was the association and the city began to get someone in this business park began to oppose a church right here. I know exactly who it is, by the way. Because she wrote a letter to the city, and the city copied me on it, on their reply. And it was, we have enough churches, we don't want any more churches, this is a business park, and I oppose it. Now I want you to see the favor of God. Favor of God was, the city wrote back and says, you, do you have any basis for a church not being here? If you do, please reply. And I looked at that and I said, that was about the sweetest slap in the face I've ever seen. <laughs> Favor of God. Now, we didn't really, know, we moved so fast, we did all this construction in 120 days. It really is a miracle. That is a miracle alone, amen? amen? A miracle of God. So I thought to myself, in this transition, we need to get the biggest sign we possibly can and put on the front of the church. I didn't know there were codes I didn't know there were rule restrictions on size. I just said, how big a one can we get up there? I didn't know it was three times bigger than city code. But everybody knew we were here. And that sign was up there and people would say, a church is going in here. What's happening to our post office? We got to minister to people, love on people, pray for people in that transition. And then all of a sudden, my friend came up and said to the city, the sign's too big. City came out, they looked, said, the sign's too big. I went down to the city, I met with them, I said, I am so sorry, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I know we were in the wrong, and I'm stupid, and I, I forgive me, and the guy goes, it was up to me, I'd just leave it up. <laughs> we really don't have a problem with it, but why don't you go ahead and start taking it down? How long do you need to take it down? Well, you know, that's like clipped six things, Right? I don't know, a week be okay? A week's fine, don't worry about it. Fill out this application, pay $25 or whatever, and you can put a new sign up. And I looked at the sign, the sign, it was, sign was like little, it was like a postcard. 
you know, I had the great scroll of Moses up there, and then I got a little <laughs> postcard now. And, and so I said, okay, how long can I keep it up? And they said six weeks, and I looked at the calendar. It was six weeks until our church opened. It was six weeks until we were going to get our permanent sign, and I saw the favor of God. The city favored us two times in a row. And that was in addition. Remember when we got our CUP? We got our CUP in seven minutes. Seven minutes. One guy showed up two or three minutes late. He almost missed the meeting. Well, last week, my friend had another suggestion for the city. city came out, and they looked around, and they said, hey, you know, you know, don't worry about it. Just get it done. And, you know, yeah, somebody called and, and all of that. And I sat there, and I thought to myself, this is a favor of God. Because cities don't normally do that. Not four or five times in a row. You might get lucky once, but God has just favored us for a reason. Because we are the focus, individually and corporately, the focus of the ministry of Jesus. Amen? Secondly, I want you to know about Jesus is the destiny of humanity rests on his words. Now think about this. The destiny of humanity rests on the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Do you see the the importance of what we do and the power that we have in Jesus Christ? He told his disciples in Matthew 28, I want you to go out into all the world, make disciples, because all authority and power has been given unto me, and guess what? I give it to you too. Also, his claim as God was clearly heard by all. Every once in a while you hear people say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. He claimed to be God so many times that they crucified him for it. They picked up stones on at least five different occasions to kill him because he claimed to be God, a very God. Now, I believe the Word of God is powerful, and I believe when we get into the Word of God and let it enrich us that we become powerful in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, let's look at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. Listen to what the Bible says. Now, it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. The Jews surrounded him. How long will you keep us in doubt? Now remember, we're already pretty far into the biblical narrative here. And they're saying, they're surrounding him. And you can tell this is a hostile environment for Jesus. He's in a public place, in a religious place, on Solomon's porch off the temple there. And they said, how long are you going to keep us in doubt? How long are you going to keep trying to to play this game with us, Jesus? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, the word Christ is the word the anointed one. That means if you are the Messiah that we've been looking for, would you just tell us so we know for sure that you're the one? If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered and said, I told you. In other words, I've already told you I'm the Messiah. I told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Isaiah 61 in verse 1 tells us that that when that prophet comes, when that Messiah comes, he's going to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's going to bring release to the captives, 
Blind people are going to see. Lame people are going to walk. He said, do you not read the scriptures? I'm him. I'm the one. I've told you, and the works that I do, they bear witness to the scriptures that you study. Listen to what I have to say, in other words. But then he says this. Jesus was rarely politically correct. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, one time he said to the, to the, the Pharisees, he says, you know, you know, your father really is of the devil. Now, you don't really win a lot of friends that way. He was not always politically correct. Look what he says. My sheep. I've got sheep. I've got sheep in this flock here. My sheep, they, bear, they hear my voice, and I know them. And guess what? They follow me. My sheep, my voice. What do they do? They follow. If you're one of the sheep of God, your job is to follow Jesus. Not follow the dictates of the world. Not follow your own desires. Your, your whole life is to be found in Jesus, following Jesus, loving Jesus. And when you love Jesus and you follow Jesus and you find yourself at school and you find yourself on a job, you find yourself wherever, your first instinct is going to be, what would Jesus do and say in this situation? How do I live in the power of Jesus Christ? How do I walk in the spirit of Almighty God? Because my first priority is Jesus Christ. Verse 28, and I give them eternal life. I'm, my gift I give to you is eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die and go to heaven. It begins when you meet Jesus Christ. I give them. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. God says, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. I think that's good news, don't you? They shall never perish. And ne neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Did you notice how he keeps using this word my? My sheep, my voice, my hand. You're going to see in a minute, my father. He wants you to understand something about this possession about this ownership, about this sphere of responsibility that God takes for you and for me in all of life. When, I, when I'm discouraged or when you get knocked down a little bit, you just have to go, you are my shepherd. It is your promise. Sometimes in my prayers I say, God, you got me into this mess. You got to get me out. All I have is your word and your promises, God, and I rest on those word and those promises. And you said nothing is impossible for God. You said if I put my faith in you, you will do it. And God, I'm just trusting you to do it. I'm believing God. I don't know where else to go except God in this situation. And it says here, and my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Notice he said, my hand, Father's hand. Here it is. Here's the image right here. You're in Jesus' hand, the Father's hand. Here it is. Now, you know what happens in life. You're secure. You know what happens in life? You ever done that? You ever put something in your hand and you start shaking it like that? That's life. Up and down and around and around, but you're not going out. You're secure in him. He doesn't go, oops, sorry about it, I lost one. No, he gathers the one that's lost. He puts him in his hand, and then the father cups his hand over it and goes like this, and life is like this. 
In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When I lived in the South, they used to say it like this. When God sends tribulation, he expends his people to tribulate. There's some tribulation that goes on in the world. But be of good cheer. In other words, put a smile on your face. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. People say, how can you smile in a time like this? You say, the joy of the Lord. Well, do you like what's going on? No, I hate it. I was talking to somebody today. They were t- I had two dog stories today. People walked up and they had dog stories. They said, you look tired. My dog. What? Your dog kept you up. My dog, my cat. I'm going, and I realized, you know, my our little dog, you know, went to heaven about four years ago. All dogs go to heaven. I saw the movie. I know it's true. <laughs> there is no movie about cats. Cats don't go to heaven. <laughs> Amen. Dog lovers, put your hands together. Give God the glory. <laughs> but I, I realized, you know, every time I miss my little dog, greet me, smiling, happy, you know, and everything else. And I love my little dog, and I confess to my dog, my God, dog has all kinds of secrets that, that, you know, nobody should know, right? You know what I'm talking about? You, you guys need a dog. I mean... <laughs> All the sins you got, you need somebody to talk to. <laughs> but every time I miss my little dog, then I see somebody who goes, yeah, I had to take my dog to the vet, cost $2,000, I don't know, you know, got, got, you know, got to do bypass surgery on my dog, and, you know, and got, you know, got to do some plastic surgery on my dog, and I'm, they're going on all this stuff. It's Orange County, you get, dog, you get plastic surgery on your dog now. <laughs> I don't even know what that had to do with anything, but let's go on with the scripture. <laughs> Okay, verse 31. Verse 31. Now, remember, Jesus has just said, my sheep hear my voice, my hand. They will never snatch them out. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. My Father, my Father. What? See, he holds everything close. And then he says this in verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. You see, it was written in the law that if you blaspheme God, in other words, if you called yourself God, you, it was a punishment worthy of stoning. This is not the first time they picked up stones. They picked up stones again to stone him, to kill him, because he claimed to be God. Verse 32, Jesus answered and said, many good works I've shown you from my Father. From which of these works do you stone me? In other words, do you not like the fact that blind people are seen? Does that bother you? What about when lame people stand up and walk? Does that bother you? What about when the leper is cleansed? Does that bother you? What really bothers you in this whole thing? And notice what they say here. The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you. In other words, we don't really like what you're doing, but that's not worthy of death. What is worthy of death is for blasphemy, and because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. God the Son came, born among men, suffered, died, rose again, fully man. There were times when Jesus cried. When he lost his good friend Lazarus, he wept. Some people say, I, I've memorized the Bible. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. If 
you start there, you got one verse under your belt. Amen? He wept. He laughed. I have a funny feeling that Jesus laughed a lot. Imagine that he's sitting around with the disciples. I mean, he camped with them for three years. There had to be a lot of funny moments. He grew tired. He pulled away from the crowds at times because the stress was too much on his life. He was fully man. But he was also fully God. When we begin to think about it, Jesus Christ, think about this thought, Jesus Christ existed before creation, before creation, and before time. Now, what's interesting there, did you notice where this story took place? Holy Spirit is always very careful. The words of the Lord are pure words. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6. That means every word of God is pure. He put it in there for a reason. Why did the reference to Solomon's porch? Because it would be not too much later in Acts chapter 3, after they crucified Jesus, he rose from the dead, that Peter and John would be walking across, and, and Acts 3 says, Solomon's porch. And there was a man there, and this lame man cried out, and he said, uh, could you give me some alms? Is there anybody who would give me something? Peter looked at him and said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Right there, same place, they surrounded Jesus and accused him falsely. Guess what? You go a couple more chapters. Chapter 5, Peter's walking across Solomon's porch again. The shadow of Peter falls on someone, and they're healed. The miraculous seem to be everywhere, but there's a principle here. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it in the history. Here's the principle. The principle is the place of the offense is the place of healing in your life. The place of offense is the place of healing. If you don't go back in your heart and your mind with God to the place of the offense, you won't find healing. See, God wants us to understand something about confession and forgiveness and restoration in our life. You can't ignore the hurt and the pain and the difficulty you've gone through in life. There are wounds that are deep in your heart and they go into what we might even call a soul wound. It affects your mind, and the minute you hear that thought or you hear that word or you recount that situation, the mind begins to process it through the will, and then the emotions begin to interplay with all of that, and you know there's a hurt and a pain there that hasn't been removed by God yet. The place of the offense is the place of healing in your life. Right now, your mind is probably spinning with that hurt and that pain and that difficulty you have. And I want you to know God wants to heal it right now. You have to give it to him. Go there and release it. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus acknowledged who he was in a very strong way. The Jews were really clear about it. He, Jesus said this. He said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I existed before Abraham, but he used that particular phrase, I am, one that he would use often, 
Because I am was the word that God used to reveal himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses said, who shall I said sent me? And say, the I am has sent me. Now what the Hebrew word there is, it's the word Yahweh. It's the sacred word of God used more than any other word. It is the most sacred word. In fact, the Jews today, even the scribes in that day, when they would, were, were copying the the, the, the Torah, and they would write down that word. They would come to the word Yahweh, and they would not pronounce it. In fact, in your Bible, it's translated the Lord. The Lord. Because they would not pronounce it, because they feared that if they said the name Yahweh incorrectly, that they would be blaspheming the name of God. And so when they would come to that and they were writing, they would lay their pen down, they would go wash their hands, they would pick up a different pen, and they would write the word Yahweh. They would put that pen down, go wash their hands, pick up the other pen, and continue that process because they were keeping sacred the name of God. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I am the one who appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He would not stop there. He would say, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I am the true bread coming down from heaven of life. Jesus said, I am the light. You want to see? You're going to have to see through me. Jesus said, I am the door. You want to go into heaven? You've got to go through me. Jesus says, I am the vine. You want to eat from the fruit of heaven? You've got to come to me. Jesus said, I am the life and the resurrection. You want to know life? You want to know it abundantly and you want to live a resurrected life? You've got to come to me. And the Jews heard it and they put their hands over their ears. Who is this one who claims to be God, a very God? The apostle Paul picked it up in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Listen to what he says of Jesus. Leaves nobody in doubt at this point. For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. See, you were created for God. You were created for God. You were created by God and for God. And watch this last phrase. And he is before all things he's before all things and in him all things consist you see it's just jesus it's jesus it's not jesus plus something else it's just jesus there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of say it with me what jesus can you say it with me jesus Jesus. Jesus was acknowledged to be God by people around him. Do you realize what happened? In, in, and it's interesting. It happens on four or five different occasions where Jesus goes, he sees a man who's demon-possessed, he lays his hands on or speaks to the demon, and the demons leave the man, and then the demons speak back to Jesus. And they say, either before or on their exit, they say, what do you have to do with us, Christ, Son of God? Have you come to judge us before the time? If you want to read those, it's 
Mark chapter 1 and verse 34, and Luke chapter 4, verses 43 through 44. Just a couple of examples. The demons acknowledged who he was. Remember Thomas? We call him what? Doubting, doubting Thomas. What a terrible tag name for eternity. Oh, you're Tom. Oh, you're doubting Thomas, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. What did he say when Jesus, you know, when a guy walks through the wall and you thought he was dead, it gets your attention. You know what I mean? And, and he says, uh, Thomas, don't be doubting. Here, here, touch my hands and touch my side and see the scar. And what did he say? My Lord and my God. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate said, are you a king? You have said it, Jesus said. Yes, I'm a king. How about the father? What did the father say of it? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, in beginning in verse 9, it's this passage that's familiar to many about God highly exalted him. But I want you to show you something that precedes that. It says this. Being in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He gave up his right to be in the Godhead for a moment in, in terms of his position. But he didn't give up his deity. He said he took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Now here's a principle in Scripture. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due season He will exalt you. Did you know that God wants to exalt you? God wants to lift you up from where you are, but He can't do it until you walk humbly before Him? What did Jesus do? He set the example. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You wanna, let me give you a simple formula how God's blessings can come to you. First, follow that 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In due season, He will exalt you. Psalm 37. Here's a second one. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, He that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Humble yourselves before God. Delight yourself in the Lord. Believe that He is and He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Scripture is simple. When we pull it together, it's simple what God has to say. Now look what the Father said about Jesus. He said, God has highly exalted him, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Adonai. Yahweh, He is God, to the glory of God the Father. In this scripture, we see that Jesus is one in essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is one in essence. Three persons, but one essence. 
If you study Scripture, you find out there's a, a marvelous relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to write this down. I want you to remember this well. Take a note on your iPad and your phone or on paper, whatever you use. Relationships. Relationships are the supreme demonstration of God's glory. When you're in relationship, it is the supreme display of God's glory. When that relationship is working, it is God doing something. You see, it's a relationship that's so unique. God wants us to understand it. And all of the works of God are designed to further relationships. When God brings healing to someone, it's to bring about a relationship restoration. On Friday night, Good Friday, when we, we had a, a, a time for people to come and be healed, my heart was broken. I didn't anticipate the line to be so long. People brought friends from everywhere. They just they were looking for hope. They were looking for, for someone who would just put their hand on them and heal them. And, and, and we've already got a reputation of seeing people healed in this place. And so people were more, all the more willing to bring people. And I remember laying my hand on person after person, many of whom I did not know I'd never seen before with cancer. And I just cried out to God, oh God, you must give us more faith. You must give us healers in this place. And as I looked around and I drove down from my from my house that's up a little bit higher in Anaheim Hills, and I, and I thought about all the people that are sick and hurting and need to be healing in, in this area and the surrounding areas. And, and God, you just I, I want you to open up the door, open up the territory, and just bring people into this place. And then I thought about also the spiritual healing. All the people that are in equally bad situations spiritually. And I tell you, I got mad on Friday night. I got mad at sickness. I got mad at sin. I got mad at disease because God doesn't want us to suffer and hurt and pain. It was never his plan. It was a, it was a consequence of man's choice and man's sin and an environment we live in. And the fallen nature of man. But oh God, if we could just be a place of healing and a place of restoration. And this morning I was praying and as I was getting ready to come up here it was nine o'clock and I like to use that that time before I come up just to pray Tammy's already gone and she's in the prayer group and and I'm up there just praying by myself and I was I was walking pacing I pray better when I pace if I get on my knees and pray I fall asleep sorry I'm just human I don't last long that way but if I can stand up and pray and I was praying oh God open up. And at nine o'clock exactly this morning, the Spirit of God said, I mean, I just felt it. I literally felt it. God just said, the territory is open up. I'm opening up a territory for you and to minister to more and more people. And God is going to give us territory. Amen. For the glory of God, God is going to give us more territory. And God just said, I want you to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. In due season, we'll open up more territories to you. Be faithful with what you have. Learn to live in an intimate relationship with God, the love of God. 
God loves you. If you don't feel loved, just accept his love right now. God loves you. When we love, we demonstrate, we demonstrate something about God. Now let me show you the scripture to, to, to support what I just showed you. John chapter 17 and, and verses 20 through 23. This is so powerful. Jesus, this is really Jesus' prayer to the Father. We're familiar with the model prayer that he prayed in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, but this is his prayer to the Father. And, and as he's praying, look, I'm just going to take a little piece out of it. He said, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone. In other words, I'm not just praying for my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know what's really cool is every one of us in this room are a direct spiritual descendant of one of the disciples. You ever thought about that? We are a direct spiritual descendant of one of the disciples. Well, maybe not Judas. Verse 21, that they all may be one. Who's they? All who believe. You see this unity of the Spirit that's taught in Scripture? There's a reason for it because in relationship, there's something that happens. When you get a new relationship and it begins to take root and it begins to feed your soul, doesn't it feel good? Because we were made for companionship. We were made to talk. We were made to share. We were made to love. It says here that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And here's the purpose. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. Why do we love one another? Why are we in a relationship with one another? Because the world desperately needs it. They see the other. They see the hurt and the pain, the disunity of the world. They say, is there no place that has love and unity? Is there no place where we can be a family and we can share in relationships together? Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given to them. Do you know you have glory from God? It's a transforming glory. You go from one degree of glory to another because it's the presence of God in you and that presence of God in you is lighting people everywhere you go and you're not even aware of it sometimes. You're just kind of going through life and you don't know. You know, somebody kind of says, hey, I just, something different about you. What is it? It's Jesus in you. It's Jesus in you. They see it. They feel it. You're not even aware of it. You're so used to it. You're just like rocking along in your world going, this is great. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And people all around you are dying and they're empty. And they, they say there's, an, a, there's a spiritual attraction there, an irresistible attraction that comes from people who love God. And it says here, now look, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one and the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. You know, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus talked about some things. He talked about my sheep. Write this down. That's your identity. That is your identity. You identify with the shepherd. My identity is I'm his sheep. Then he said my voice. You know what that is? That's your authority. You have an identity and you have an authority. You travel in the authority of the words of God. And then he said, my hand. That's your security. 
You're secure in Jesus Christ. And then he said, my father. You know what that is? That's your royalty. We are a royal nation. We're a holy priesthood, Scripture says. Now let me put all this together for you in, in a few life applications. Here's the first one. God always honors obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Secondly, your faithfulness will be rewarded with greater opportunities. Be faithful in what God gives you, and God will give you more. Be faithful. Regain your spiritual edge with commitment. Regain that spiritual edge. If you say, the edge is just a little dull right now, then just say, God, I'm making a commitment to you. I'm making a commitment to you. Here's what I ask you to do. I'm going to ask all of us to stand together right now. Let's stand together, and I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to God. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to God. I'm going to ask you where you stand or sit right now, to make a commitment. And I'm going to ask you secondly to make that commitment visible. I'm going to invite you to the front of this stage that is now an altar. An altar to dedicate your life unto God. An altar to seek prayer, to seek healing, to seek the face of God. But I'm going to lead you right now in a prayer of dedication. And I'm going to, as I as I pray and as the band is just setting up and going to play right now this song that I yearn for you, we yearn for you, God. And I just ask, God, that we would all have a yearning heart for Jesus. So as they begin to play and you just make your way up here to the front to commit. Dear Jesus, I commit myself to you. Can you say those words to him? Dear Jesus, I commit myself to you. Dear Jesus, I ask you to take away the pain and the hurt to take me back to the place of offense that I might experience healing from your hand. Would you let God just bring some healing to you right now? God, I pray you'd restore me in the power and the fullness of the Spirit of God right now. God, I ask you to bring back that love relationship that I had with you so many years ago that's grown weak and grown cold over time. Fill me, Spirit of God. Restore up the fire in my heart. Bring commitment to the forefront of my life and my relationship right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing and you just come and gather around this stage, you can stand or kneel, whatever's comfortable for you. But let's just give God the glory right now as we yearn for you, oh God, we yearn for you.